Hi, everyone. Welcome to Confidently Own Your Narrative. I'm so excited to be welcoming a very special guest to the podcast. I have Paige Hyden here with me. Paige, do you mind introducing yourself? Of course. Thank you for having me. My name is Paige. I am 26 years old. I live in Hoboken, New Jersey, and I'm a registered dietitian. I'm sure we'll dive all into career stuff as we go, um, but I'm also a cousin of Lila's, and I'm so excited to be here and have just looked up to Lila always. We've had a close, special relationship forever, and watching you go through all of these transitions has been super inspiring. So I'm excited to dive in. Thanks, Paige. I appreciate that. Well, I've always also looked up to you, too, because you've had such an amazing journey, and I'm really excited to dive into that today. So as we get started, I would love for you to bring us back to college. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey there. I know that we bonded over some of our similar hobbies and interests growing up, but would love for you to start start there in your journey. Yeah. So college, I started my college life at Gettysburg. And I guess even a little bit of backtrack before that, I was really a competitive soccer player in middle school, high school years. I realized around that time through struggles in athletics that nutrition was a passion of mine and a career option. So as I was entering the college process, I had the career path of dietetics in my brain, but I had soccer also on the brain. So I was trying to weigh those dreams of mine simultaneously and the soccer dream took over. So I ended up at Gettysburg College, a small school in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, about, I think, 2,500 students. And I, about three days in, got injured in preseason. And after one semester at Gettysburg, transferred to the University of Delaware, where I ended up majoring in dietetics, now became a dietitian today. But the college years seemed far away. They really weren't that far away. But um, I actually loved my time at Gettysburg socially, which I think when I share with people how small the school was and how quickly I left, that's always probably the initial thought that very common to to transfer from these small schools just because it was not socially enough to offer. But um, it was really solely the injury and the fact that I knew I wanted a field in nutrition more and more. And Gettysburg didn't have that career path as the most ideal option, meaning if I stayed there and I didn't get injured, or even if I didn't, I stayed there, it would have been like a seven or eight year trajectory path versus a four plus one or four plus two, which is the more traditional route to become an RD. So it would have been like a liberal arts degree and then some grad school credits to kind of get me the bachelor's that I needed. And then the internship, which whoever's not familiar, you'll get a little more familiar today. Um, but the transfer just made a lot of sense for all of those reasons, both for the lack of soccer opportunity and really lack of major that I was looking for. Um, so that's, I guess, a little bit into the starters of college, the transfer and all of that. Yeah. And I think that's something that I haven't yet really shared on the podcast or really is that you and I both grew up playing soccer too. And soccer was a major part of my identity. I know that that was a major part of yours too. And so as you made that transition of not playing soccer anymore at Gettysburg to Delaware, what are 
a few things that you learned about yourself in college, whether it was it within the transition at Delaware or at Gettysburg? Yeah, it was a crazy time. Those few months of accepting what wasn't going to be what I thought college was going to be. And also at the same time, always being focused on the next thing and like planning where I was going to be. As soon as I found out that the injury was as serious as it was, I was kind of like game planning my next steps, but also trying to grieve over all of what I was leaving behind. Um, I think it was difficult to navigate, even just navigating high school to college without all of these components. First time being away from home, I was navigating a long-term relationship. I was navigating hanging up my cleats, which I never thought I would at least that soon. Um, and I think it was probably the first of many moments in my later on life where I had to really just deal with not being in control and understand how to trust what life deals you. Um, and it was uncomfortable. And I think there were really tough days and tough times where I had my parents coming in to support me a lot more than I thought I would need or I would want in those moments and really just leaning on everyone around me. I think those moments and all of college just taught me how grateful I am for my support system and really just being able to navigate that through friends, family, therapy, soul searching, and kind of just letting it play out how it was going to play out. Um, which ultimately really led me to the redirection that was the best thing that could have really ever happened career-wise, life-wise. I mean, Delaware's dietetics program and just being even closer to home, everything that it ended up giving me was really for the better. Yeah. And this, the idea behind this podcast is confidently owning your narrative, which I see as confidently owning your journey. And I saw that through and through. For me, as an outside looking in, I would have never known about the struggles that you might have been navigating. But it sounds like you were really leaning on your community and really activating, asking for help too. Mm -hmm. So how did you continue to build confidence as you were making these transitions? What would you say to someone maybe who might be feeling like they need to make a transition like you did too? Yeah. I tried to weigh as many options as I could in terms of instead of having a scarcity mindset about the situation, trying to have an open mindset of all the places I could go versus the one place that I probably shouldn't stay because it just doesn't make any sense with all the things that I want. And as much as the short term felt so scary, like really trying to picture myself years from now. I remember really playing that like mind game with myself of like really thinking about your future self while you're making this decision and how it feels like it's the end of the world and my dreams being completely crushed. But when I'm a dietitian in four or five years or when I'm having all these new opportunities, being at a bigger school, having a bigger community, being closer to my friends and family, trying to just really make a a pro con list, but emphasis on the pro and acceptance of the con, if you will, or the not so positive sides of the ways that you could flip that coin. So I would say to anyone going through something like this, or just anyone 
in the college process thinking about transferring. It's think about what that could potentially give you versus what you're walking away from a little bit from a different lens. That's a beautiful perspective. And I think that's some, that is a perspective that is a really an advocate. You're an advocate of yourself at the end of the day, you're setting yourself up for success for the page that you are today or 10 years from now. So let's get to that after graduation. Let's talk a little bit about maybe what you graduated with and what were your next steps after graduating from your, from your program? Yeah. So because I transferred so fast, it didn't impact the trajectory of graduating on time or completing the credits or anything like that, which was awesome. So I graduated with a bachelor's of science in dietetics and I started my senior year for those not familiar with the process of becoming a dietitian. I started applying for what's called a dietetic internship and how I explain it in a long story short is a medical residency, but instead of four years and then four more years, it's just one year and then you take a test. Um, but the matching system is very similar. So you spend your senior year building your application, getting letters of recommendation. It's similar to the college process, like what that looked like going into my freshman year of college. You have to get a lot of those similar kind of paperwork, check the boxes done and you also have to go learn about these programs because there's so many and they're really competitive. So you're looking at, you know, acceptancy rates of 20 to 30% typically in terms of like, maybe there's a hundred people applying or a few hundred people applying. And some of these programs had like 10 seats. Some of them had 30 seats. It was very competitive. So I was going on basically like what you would think of as a college tour, but an internship tour, my senior year of college. Um, I had made a list ultimately to the, the matching system, similar again to medical school where, and similar to sororities, if you, anyone listening is in Greek life, you kind of make your list sororities, you list two typically, but, um, you don't want to list what you don't want because you could get any of them and you're going to get one or you're going to get none. So I listed a couple of options I don't reflect on this enough either because um, before we recorded, we talked about how all of this stuff I don't think about enough, but I actually got my last option in the match and I was really caught off guard by it and actually really upset when I opened the match, even though on Instagram, it looked like the happiest day ever because it's highlight reel. Um, but I didn't get my first choice, my second choice. I got my third choice. I only, I only listed three. And Rutgers, where I ended up, was not in the matching system because it's a very new program. It was a guinea pig program. I was the first cohort of this program and it was not in the match, but it was what I knew I would go with if I got my last match, which looking back, if any diecast, you know, people are listening, that's the name of the application process. They're not going to like that because they really tell you, don't list what you don't want but I didn't know if I was gonna get into Rutgers either. So I wanted kind of like that third backup. So it was a weird day. I took the acceptance to Rutgers. It ended up again, similar to the transfer being the best thing that ever happened because I ended up being an intern in COVID and I was living at home with my parents during a global pandemic and was able to not be by myself through this time because all of the programs that I listed and ranked higher were, in Baltimore, in Boston, and places where I would have been maybe with a roommate or by myself, but in a completely new city. Um, so it was really what ultimately was for the best. And I 
from what you may remember from what I've shared about this program, it, I was the guinea pig, but it was truly the best program. I feel like I feel like I'm a walking advertisement for the Rutgers grad school program for dietitians. Um, it was a 16 month program, got my master's in clinical nutrition and got everything I needed hours wise clinically to sit for the national exam. And then I started working, but we can pause there. <laughs> yeah. I think that I do remember you posting about that. And I think we'll get into Instagram and social media and our reflections about ourselves and our own confidence a little bit later into our time together. But I think that's really interesting that you bring that up because I think that again, some, you didn't have this vision in your mind, but instead of having the scarcity mindset, like you mentioned earlier of, I, I could reflect on what I don't have right now. I'm going to reflect on what's possible and what's in abundance to me and it, this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And now in reflection, you probably don't see it any other way because you wouldn't be where you are here today mm -hmm. either. hundred percent. I think Rutgers is a big part of my family too. My identity growing up, but it felt so comfortable. Like it was a virtual program besides the clinical hours, but every time we had to go on campus or had an event, it was just, it felt actually like very homey to me, which was special to be able to experience as well. I think also, yeah, during a global pandemic and we know how supportive your parents are too. I think that that sounds like in retrospect, probably the best decision that could have ever happened. So thank you for sharing. And again, I'm learning something new <laughs> about my own. I thought you might. Yeah. Yeah. So you graduate, you have all of your hours through, through your program. Tell us a little bit about where you landed next and maybe some of the transitions you had after that. Yeah. I, again, for those who aren't familiar as a dietitian in your internship, you have to complete 1200 hours of clinical service unpaid. And by about halfway through, you feel like you're functioning as a dietitian, as an unpaid dietitian, you're pretty confident in your skill set, or at least I think they tell you that you should be by that time. And it feels kind of towards the end, like it's dragging and you're really ready to be recognized for what you're doing. Um, but it's a cool feeling. So the last rotation is called staff relief. And in that rotation, you pick your favorite thing. I picked burn the burn unit, which is pretty funny because I'm terrified of fire, but um, I found the burn unit fascinating. And I did all of my hours at a hospital in New Jersey during staff relief. It's also I'm not sure if the word is common, but it's, it's not unheard of to be in talks with the management team about potential job opportunities because to them, you they know you, they know what you're capable of. They also have a staff full of dietitians who you've been passed around to as preceptor after preceptor has gotten to know you and gotten to know what you can do as well. Um, so in my staff relief, I was offered a part-time job that would only start like once I completed the rotations. So I went right into working part-time and really nothing changed besides I was now getting a paycheck, which was nice. Um, my preceptors became my coworkers. I was working a few days a week. I was still living at home to save money and also study for this exam because what the position is offered as, which is very common in our field is RDE, which is RD eligible, and it has a 90 day contingency. So you work part-time, full-time, 
whatever is offered and whatever you're looking for. And within 90 days, if you pass your exam, you will continue as an employee. If you don't pass within 90 days, you are subject to be terminated. Um, luckily that didn't happen to me. I passed my exam, I think in March and I finished staff relief around end of January. So it was like six weeks maybe where I was studying a lot and working a few days a week. So it was a really nice balance of not feeling like I was gonna lose those clinical skills, but also not feeling like I was working full-time and studying for this exam, which was a really crazy exam. Um, and around that time of right after I passed the exam, a few weeks later, a dietitian went on maternity leave. So a part-time position turned into a really seamless full-time opportunity. I was still around that time feeling like the job was shiny and exciting and pretty pleasant. Um, and I was interested also long-term, I should mention, in private practice because around this time also, once I passed my exam, I started working for a virtual RD um, and I was helping her with her group programs. I was seeing very few one-to-one -one clients in the evenings. And it was just this little idea at the time and this really awesome connection I had made in college with an RD I had looked up to very much and I still look up to today. Um, so I was doing that on the side and I was working now full time. Shortly after I was working full time, an inpatient, which is in the hospital every day, an inpatient outpatient combo role opened. And it was half of the week you're in the hospital, the other half of the week you're out. And I loved what I was doing on the side in this private practice space. And I realized the outpatient was always very interesting to me of counseling, having more time to spend with your patients, also having more of a work-life balance in the long-term when you're outpatient or you're at a doctor's office. It's no weekends, it's no holidays, it's normal hours, or versus a hospital, it's never closed. As you all know, it's holidays, weekends, long shifts, overtime, all the things. So I thought this position was interesting. I was in various doctor's offices a few days a week, working in neurology and pediatrics and in cardiac rehabs. And I was immediately very over the inpatient days. I was like, these outpatient days are the best. I wanna do this every day. I never wanna be at the hospital anymore. How do I make this happen? I really tried to work with the management because it was the same management. Um, the outpatient facilities were all kind of under the same umbrella as the hospital business management wise. They had a relationship with this with these facilities. And unfortunately it was just a very unique position that they weren't willing to adjust. So it was like inpatient, outpatient, or go back to full-time inpatient, or you can leave basically. And a few more months went by, I was still working with this private practice dietitian and to keep it brief, the culture and environment and treatment in the workplace started to get very unpleasant. And I realized that it was time to leave because the outpatient full-time opportunity wasn't there. And the inpatient was just getting to the point of, I always told myself, if it gets to the point where it's impacting my mental health and I feel like actually miserable to wake up every single day, it's time to make a change. So, the private practice dietitian, her name is Alex, actually ended up offering me a trial run, basically is what I'll call it. I was her only employee. We never really had explored this until the time had come where I was getting to this point with my job of what if we tried 
to like get me more hours? What if we tried to build this into a full-time opportunity? And she's very transparent with me of, you know, here's what it could look like. Here's what we could get out of this, but we don't know what's going to happen necessarily. Um, and I left the job. I, I gave my two weeks notice at the hospital inpatient outpatient job. And I tried to chase this new dream of let's see where it goes with private practice. I had moved out already. I should stay state at this time too. So finances were more of a concern than they were when I was living at home. And I gave that about, I told myself I'm giving this six months to a year. And if it doesn't take off, I need to keep it in its side gig and go find a full-time job that will pay the bills. And that is ultimately what happened six months to nine months later, I had to go get a job. And I still worked with her for another almost year to year or two um, before I ended up in the role I am now that has a non-compete and I had to leave. But ultimately that dream was short-lived and ended up again, leading me in the direction of my next great opportunity. Um, and I ended up continuing to work with Alex on the side and got a new full-time job at a concierge medicine facility in New York City. We can take a pause there. Like, yeah. how, am I doing? how am I doing? <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> and I, okay. I think that what's really interesting is that you, you continue to try. You con yeah. continue to try and serve different populations and realized that when you gave it a try, you either loved it or you didn't love it. And I think that's really important because you were giving opportunities a chance and you also stuck to your guns. You also realized, hey, this does not align to what I want as my future lifestyle or my future career. And I know the type of like population that I want to work with and it's an outpatient or it's private mm -hmm. practice. And I think that you made really important pivots and made important decisions for yourself for the long run. And before we dive into some of the other questions and, and kind of continuing on your path, just for our listeners who might not know, what is a registered dietitian? And uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's a great question. A registered dietitian is um, a nutrition expert, if you will, who has completed the required steps to be a licensed professional in the field, providing what's referred to as medical nutrition therapy, MNT. The reason why that's important is because MNT is billable for insurance. So that doesn't mean everyone gets coverage for nutrition care, although that's really the goal. And that's where I work now. A main value and goal of the company that I work for is access to nutrition care, um, but providing medical nutrition therapy sets registered dietitians apart from nutritionists or health coaches or anyone who feels they are the expert of food and science and nutrition. If you are not a licensed RD, you cannot bill to insurance companies and you should not be working with patients who have clinical conditions, diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, kidney disease, heart failure, um, anything that is a disease state um, should be handled and managed by a licensed RD who has, again, completed a bachelor's as of 2024, a master's and passed your exam after completing 1200 supervised hours. So it's about now a seven-ish year path. Um, and dietitians can be referred to as nutritionists, but nutritionists cannot be referred to as dietitians. And if you know any dietitians, 
don't call them nutritionists because they don't like it. (laughs) And, And this is really helpful, especially for people listening is again, where to find the right provider for them or for mm-hmm. a family member, maybe, and, and keeping keeping this in mind. So again, this is really just informative for me and hopefully informative for, for the folks listening who have not been familiar with your field. So you are where you are now. You can speak a little bit to that, but I want to make sure we're, we don't forget about a big part of your life too. So maybe do you want to talk about the the role you're in now and how it aligns to your values and really what you want for your long-term career as an RD? Definitely. Um, I currently work for a company called Kulina Health. It's publicly on my platform, so I thought I would share it and plug it. Um, Kulina is a startup, a virtual private practice providing one-to-one nutrition counseling and really just trying to make nutrition care accessible to the 99%. The job I spoke previously about, I was, I've served the 1% in a lot of roles that I've had. And this has been really incredible to serve the 99%, both through just accepting insurance, but really being able to access diverse clientele. And because of that, even myself really diving into cultural backgrounds and those of different financial barriers or places in their lives of socioeconomic status demographics. Um, really kind of broadening my searches, I suppose, to the clients that I can help and serve. Um, And I've been truly loving this role. I started in August of 2023 and already coming up on seven or eight months. I do this full-time. I'm client-facing one-to-one Monday through Friday for about eight hours a day. And I see patients with a variety of needs Um, mainly weight loss, weight management. I also work with athletes, those training for marathons, those who powerlift, those who want to get more into athletics, college athletes. Um, I also serve patients with diabetes, pre-diabetes, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, status post-stroke, cardiac event. And what am I missing? Relationship with food. That's a big one. Patients who have disordered eating habits, maybe they don't have an active eating disorder, but they really struggle with relationship with food, mind, body. And I do a lot of that. There's a lot of overlap within that people coming with multiple of those, of those reasons, but those are the niches. And that's a little bit about what I do now. I love hearing about what you do now, because there is such a a genuine feeling that comes over me knowing that you are doing what you have set out to do and you have tried a lot of different things, but you're really happy now and you're serving the clientele that you want to serve. And that really aligns to ultimately what you had wanted to do back in school. And that really lights me up and that really gets me excited. And so I think pivoting to something that you also started, I would love to talk to Instagram, social media, and pages, plates, and the iterations that have come from that as well. So if you do not know, uh, my cousin Paige has her own Instagram and TikTok following uh, called pages, plates, and I'll make sure I link it in the podcast as well. But I'd love to really hear from you how you got that started and really understanding how you built confidence around this platform too. Yeah. 
I feel like you were one of my first number one fans on Pages Slates, but I started Definitely. a platform in college and I really only started it to set myself apart in this internship process that I referred to before of how competitive the dietetic internship process really was. It was around that time where food Instagrams, I feel like were kind of having their moments and like everyone was making one. So I did it for fun, but also to really just try to create something to set me apart. I actually think in the end, there were some programs who really were interested in it. I would bring it up in interviews when it felt right. And there were others that it just didn't feel right. And I knew they would not care. They would not understand. It would not be relevant. So it ended up really not serving that full purpose. But what it did end up giving me is an insane amount of connections and networking opportunities and really job opportunities. And every, I've, ha- I've had a lot of jobs and in everyone from Alex, the RD I worked with for many years privately to the concierge facility in New York to Kulina Health, every single one of those was partially because of something that had to do with pages plates and the community that I had built and people that I had met or people that had been following me um, to just get an easier foot in the door with an interview or get a good word in from a coworker to new companies. Um, So that's been really crazy and something that I feel like so lucky that I kept up with. It's definitely ebbed and flowed and how big of a part it's played in my life. I think in college, it became who I was and this crazy piece of my identity. I had my fair share of kind of diet culture moments in college that I learned about for myself where pages plates really took off in a bit of a negative spiral and turn there. Um, But I didn't let it kind of take away from the overall benefits and happiness that the platform was giving me. I've just really if you scroll all the way down and you've picked up on any of these changes, you Lila or anyone listening, it's just been really interesting and rewarding to scroll through the changes and scroll through the arrows of my life. And now with Instagram becoming so much more video content oriented and TikTok being the new thing, the confidence has definitely dipped the last year or two. And I've really just been afraid to use social media because I am not, despite what people again may think from what the Instagram was, I was just posting pictures. So I was posting static photos. No one was really posting anything besides that. And then all of a sudden it changed and I got really nervous and I didn't know how to do anything. So I just kind of kept posting pictures and no one really cared about pictures. And that's not what people were interested in anymore. So the platform took a total backseat through a lot of more recent years. Um, And I'm now, through the help of my great sister and her coworkers at her social media agency, shout out Circle Media, I've picked it back up. And I feel like it's the newest era is going to be the best era. And it will hopefully, what it once was, was also a a side gig financially, will hopefully leave doors to open in that route as well moving forward if I can keep myself consistent with it. (laughs) I love Paige's plates. I think for me... (laughs) It is something that, especially coming from you, who is a, you are someone who's incredibly knowledgeable in this space. And I think that you keep things incredibly realistic. And what, even if you were not my, my family member, I think that I would follow you regardless because you, you keep it real. I think something that you bring into the space is being able to eat 
all of the foods and being able to be really thoughtful about your, like what you're putting in your body, but also being really positive surrounding body image. And I think that a lot of people, me included, I'll speak for myself is sometimes I follow food accounts or influencer accounts. And I just feel bad about myself. I feel bad about what I might be eating. I feel bad about what I look like, but I know that all of us have different bodies. And so I think that, again, I don't know also how to use all the social media platforms, but I think you have always brought a really authentic spin to your platform too. But I'm just curious is I know confidence can go up and down with how you interact on the platform, but you're putting yourself out there all the time. How do you maintain confident? How do you maintain confident as an individual in such a space that feels like there's always a microscope yeah. on you? I think something also to be said about our field is if you are in it or if you know anything about it, it's a tight spectrum. And there are dietitians who promote dieting in sometimes a disordered way. And there are dietitians who promote anti-dieting and health at every size and all bodies are beautiful. And I support in some ways, both sides of that spectrum in a way, I find myself always sitting right in the middle of awareness, but no obsession and body neutrality, of course, all of the things. But I think as a dietitian, the eyes that I'm most nervous about are the other dietitians. I think also, cause I am a younger dietitian. I'm probably just a little bit more aware and nervous about who's viewing this in my field. But um, I also am always trying to think of who's viewing this, who has struggled with their body and relationship with food and how can I make sure this is the most neutral content, but also content that feels valuable to me and feels aligned with what I promote and what I preach, just like with therapists or with life coaches or with dietitians. Not everyone's going to be your cup of tea and your best fit. And that's why there's this spectrum of not only dietitians who have their beliefs, but also just our personality pairing. So sometimes when I have moments of sharing things of, oh no, like some people won't like this. Well, you're not necessarily posting to get clients. You're posting to connect and those who connect with you will stick around. And those who don't maybe shouldn't be using your content anyways, and they would be better served without it. So just trying to like keep those thoughts in mind, but also with social media, I think it's like the more exposure, the more confident. And I'm really trying to like put my face to camera more, but I think that's a big thing that I struggle with. And that once felt so easy in college. I like cringe at them now when I look at them, but I used to walk around my college campus talking to the camera all day long. It's hard to find a lot of them because I've deleted them. I just, I can't look at them. They're so funny to me. But now when I try to talk to the camera, it really is hard for me. So I think that that's something just candidly that I really look at other RDs or people on Instagram doing that all the time. And what they all say is you just have to do it. And I think that can be applied to a lot of things in life, but also on social media. Like once I just do it and put it out there without trying to sound perfect, I'm going to get better. So that's the latest journey that I'm on. <laughs> I love that. Confidently own it. I think yeah. that there's something to be said about it will not be perfect. It There is something to be said about just doing it and owning it. And I know that you can do it. And you're also giving me inspiration to do that too. I have a very small following right now, but my goal is to, again, we always have to sit in our goal. Our goal is to connect. 
our goal is to reach out to the people that if they come across our page, hopefully that they're getting something of value. And if I give value to one or two people, that's plenty for me. And I think that what you're doing is really important too, especially for people who are also younger, who might be following you, who are on their own, our D to B, as I remember what you used to, yeah. used to call it. Um, but I think that again, shout out to your sister, Sarah, she's been an incredible support system, um, for you too. And I'm curious, I know that alone, you haven't gotten maybe where you are today. Tell us a little bit about the support around you and how you cultivated that across all of your life changes. Yes. Well, family, I would say has to be number one on the long list of support. I feel so grateful to have had. I have a sister. I am lucky to call my best friend. I have a very supportive parental line of a mom and dad who are always there for me and always my biggest cheerleaders and then extended family. Again, like I said in the beginning, I feel really lucky and I'm learning as I get older that not everyone has close relationships with cousins and aunts and grandparents who are lucky to still be alive. Um, who I really have leaned on for all of this and have felt comfortable to have uncomfortable conversations with your mom at the most recent family event coming up for me most recent. Uh, but other than family, I think friends as well. I have also learned with age that my friend circle has gotten smaller and smaller, but more, what's the word, uh, vibrant and important. The smaller that it's gotten, the closer the relationships have gotten and kind of just leaning on those friends who, again, I can openly have conversations with both just word vomit too, but ask for feedback when I'm looking for feedback and hold back feedback when I'm not looking for feedback. Um, and of course, through therapy for many years, I started therapy almost five years ago and not only for career transitions, but a lot of relationship struggles and pasts and transitions. I think that therapy for me has felt like also career coaching because of all of the crazy transitions I had so early on. I have recently work, been working with a new therapist just because of where I'm at in my life. It felt like it was time to get a new perspective. Um, and I feel so grateful that I have such a close relationship with this therapist as well um, and my partner. So I think that I just feel like through the eras, the support systems have changed, but everyone now and everyone then has just been really so helpful and I'm so grateful. That was beautiful. And I just want to give you a giant hug because I know <laughs> that you have gone through so many transitions and transitions are not easy. Career transitions are really challenging. Life transitions, breakups, starting new relationships, even just dating and putting yourself out there and also having a public social media platform too. There's a lot to balance there. And so I'm curious this was not a question that I was going, that I, that I shared before. So I'd love to just get your take on it is what would you want to say to maybe Paige who was starting her, starting her college experience? What do you want to say to Paige X years ago now? Wow. So powerful. I'd say like buckle up. You're in for the ride. You never thought you were going to have. And 
everything will be okay. And you just have to trust the process and stay true to who you are and what you want. And the finish line will look the same and you'll get there how you get there, but it's going to be crazy. (laughs) Beautifully said. And I think something that you also do really well, which I'll encourage our listeners to do is really activate your community and activate your support system. You have done that so beautifully throughout your journey, asking for help, tapping into mental health resources, knowing your strengths and knowing also where you might need support. Example, like social media. Social media is evolving all the time. We can't spend so much time figuring out what the next iteration is, but I think you've done a really great job of asking for help where needed, but also being being the, the expert in the room too. And so I'm curious is what would you tell listeners and we'll, we'll get into kind of coming to a close is what would you tell listeners who maybe are going through a challenge with a relationship with food or are seeing diet culture on, on the internet and are maybe feeling a certain way about themselves? What would you say to them to get them back on the best track for them? Yeah. I think if you're having these thoughts and you've realized that you've always had these thoughts, um, getting help is the first thing that comes to mind and normalizing how normal it is, unfortunately, to have these thoughts and behaviors and mindsets, whether it is due to the household you were brought up in or a traumatic past relationship or your own issues with body image the list goes on and on. Um, There is help out there for you. There are experts just for this area. And hopefully you can even get covered for this help. So there are really options out there, whether it's Polina or any other company or dietitian you can find who takes insurance. Um, But even just beyond that, or I guess before that, if that feels really scary, um, talking to someone you feel comfortable with about this or journaling about this and just kind of recognizing that the thoughts are there is probably going to help you. Um, and really trying to just understand, you know, why are these thoughts happening? How frequently are they happening? Is this something that I feel like I'm ready to talk about and take action on? And if you're not quite ready yet, talking about it can still be really, really helpful kind of first step, whether that's with a friend, family, therapist, or nutrition professional. Completely agree. Thank you for sharing. And as we wrap up, I know that we've talked a little bit about your college journey, your career journey. Obviously you've had so much education and so many different career experiences and also your social media platform relationships you've um you've developed over time whether romantic or friends or strengthening with your family and so as we wrap up our episode together which i've loved this so much i've learned so much and really been so excited to get this time with you when i mention the words confidence or owning it what comes up for you as you reflect on your journey to where you are right now today Without repeating too much, I definitely think trusting the journey that you're on and really looking within and thinking within and focusing again on the outcome, not, you know, when will I get there, but how will I get there? I think it can be really helpful, not putting pressure on a timeline, which 
in all aspects of my life, I am trying every day to work on, but I really think also something that comes up for me was actually something I always think about from my college graduation speech. It was the best speech ever. I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but it was just all about the term BU was like the term that was talked about the whole speech from beginning to end. And that's really what your whole, I feel like podcast mantra is, is be yourself. Those who are here for it will stick around. Those who aren't won't and trust that too. Like trust who you are and those around you yourself and you'll get there. It might not look like how you thought it would look like, but you'll, you'll get where you want to be ultimately in the end. Thank you, Paige. Well said. So where can people find you? How do you want people to reach out to you if they're interested in Paige's plates or in the work that you're doing at Kalina? Yes, I can be found on Instagram at pages underscore plates. You can also find me on Kalina Health's website. If you search our providers, a little picture of me comes right up or you can search my full name on LinkedIn, on Kalina Health's website, and you can find me there. And for anything partnership related, pages plates wise, Instagram is probably best or email, which is also on my Instagram pages plates 2019 at gmail.com. I love it. Anything else to leave our listeners with today, Paige? Nothing. I just, I miss you. Hope I see you soon. (laughs) I miss you too. I can't wait to see you this summer. I think that something I'll leave the listeners with is you never know how honestly relationships with your family are going to continue to evolve and change. And I know that our relationship and our age gap has only felt like it's gotten smaller and smaller with time. And so I just want to say, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so proud of you. And I feel so honored to be an inspiration to you over time. And I can't wait to see where our relationship continues to evolve. But I want to say thank you so much for being here, sharing your time, sharing your story, being an inspiration to so many people who are following you on social media, your clients, and just love you. Ditto. Love you too.